Well, uh, growing up, I always had a lot of different ways that I would, I would prepare for Christmas, right? I would prepare for Christmas. There are a lot of different ways. Uh, uh, and, and I really like holidays. There are different ways I would prepare for it. Thanksgiving. Anybody like to see parades at Thanksgiving? No, I saw a no, a couple of people. I see like, I, I literally, if I can just see like five seconds of a parade, we can have Thanksgiving, right? I'm good, right? It's just a way that I, I, I prepare. So there's different ways. Christmas is the same. Uh, have different ways that I prepare, right? Uh, getting the tree. I was always the person, you know, we never got the tree out till after Thanksgiving. So calm down. Right, but we would get the tree out. Always the person that would kind of initiate the decorating and, and getting that going. And I really it didn't bother me. I had no problem with it. Loved to do it. But there was just different ways. Well, my latest way that I like to prepare for Christmas is by doing a Christmas puzzle. Anybody love puzzles? I didn't grow up. Wow, it's very quiet with that one, right? You're like, whoa, this guy is weird, right? But I, I, I love doing it. Like, you know, I, I, every year I try to find one, you know, and, and I work on it and work on it. It's just a way that, like, it makes me slow down and kind of enjoy, like, this season. So that's one of the ways. But what are some of the ways that you prepare for Christmas? What are some of the ways? Go ahead and shout it out. Yell it out. What are some of the ways? Planning meals. Planning meals. What else? Going to Starbucks. Yes, that is one of my favorites too. What else? Playing Christmas music. Decorating. What else? Baking. Baking. What else? Yeah, she's like, when is the baking done, right? I'm going to come over there. Right, what else? What else? Tamales. Anybody else? Just them? Oh, boy. Okay, I was going to say, whoa. And then let us know when those are done too, right? Right? What, 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 are some of, what are some of the ways? Go ahead. One more. Two more. Come on. Some of you are like, I don't want to play. I feel like you're setting me up. Wrapping presents? Yeah, of course. Like getting gifts together. What, what? Middle? Decorating. Yes, yes, yes. Some of the ways. So there's a lot of different ways that we prepare, right? And that we get ready for Christmas season. But uh, uh, there's a lot of, you know, we all have, I think maybe we were hesitant to share a couple of things because, you know, like it can be kind of personal, right? We have like little personal traditions that we did, right? Dad did that. Mom did that. Grandma did that. That we didn't really, really want to share. Like we, like we didn't want to share that, that grandma would wear her one uh, outfit that she shouldn't wear anymore, right? We didn't want to share any of those. Those traditions, right? I understand that. Uh, but there's a lot of different ways that we prepare for Christmas. So if you felt like, I didn't want to share, don't worry. There's some really, really weird ways to prepare for Christmas out there. And uh, one of them is, uh, O come all ye hungry. On Christmas Day, South Africans celebrate by eating plum, fuzzy caterpillars of the emperor moth in oil. Oh, I didn't hear that one thrown out there, right? Didn't hear that one. Or how about this one? Second one is that uh, is called the Santa Champ. During the Santa Claus World Championships, there is a Santa Claus World Championships, right? Of course, you've never seen that on ESPN, but it's here, real. Held in Switzerland, teams of Santa Clauses from around the world, teams, uh, compete against one another in chimney climbing, snowball fighting, sledge racing, donkey trekking, and Santa skiing in the hope of capturing the Santa Claus world champion. I cannot make that up, right? You can't make that up. But the third one is one of my favorites because it's where I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Every year at the Rumpke Sanitary Landfill, 
near Cincinnati, Ohio, they string 30,000 Christmas lights across the garbage mound, which stretches over 230 acres and rises 280 feet. The display includes a 25-foot-tall candy cane. There's, <laughs> there's nothing quite like garbage decorated with lights to install the holiday spirit, right? Right? Yeah, fantastic. While there are so many different ways that you can prepare for Christmas, here's my question. Here's my question. How do you prepare for peace during the Christmas season? How do you prepare for peace during the Christmas season? Now, when I say peace, peace is one of those words that uh, we need to define. We need to have a working definition because we're going to talk a lot about peace this morning. And this is how I define peace. Peace is nothing missing and nothing broken. Nothing missing and nothing broken. When you feel at peace about something, whether it's financially, a relationship, or a decision, it's because you feel like nothing is missing and nothing is broken. And so that's going to be our working definition this morning. But I would also offer you this. Peace is one of those things that, that is, it is the product of something, right? Like something produces peace. You know, whether it's like some of those issues, like we have enough money in the bank or we're happy or whatever it is, there, there's something that, that produces peace. And so we need to jump into that because Christmas is supposed to be about peace, right? We sing the songs about silent nights and we sing the songs about different things and ways where Christmas is supposed to be about peace, but sometimes Christmas doesn't feel very peaceful. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at a, a passage that we're going to be in two places. You can see on your outline. One of those places is going to be in Isaiah. Isaiah. But before we put that up, go ahead and pull that down for me, Maddie, because I want to give some context. I want to give some context for us. But the passage that we're going to read, it's a, it's a passage that if you've been in church or around church, you've heard this passage before, you know, and, we, and we get into it without really ever getting into some of the context behind it, which to me just enriches the passage. But Isaiah, say Isaiah. Isaiah became a prophet. A prophet is a person that speaks for God. They, they kind of hear from God, and they, they interpret whatever that is, and then they speak that to the people. That's what, that's what a prophet is. Isaiah became a prophet, the scripture tells us, the year King Uzziah died. Say Uzziah. Say Uzziah died. Doesn't that sound like you're speaking some foreign language, right? King Uzziah died. Now, that's important because King Uzziah was one of the more famous kings uh, in Judah's history. While, while he was king and reigning and doing his thing, he served for about 50 years over Judah. And during those 50 years, the nation enjoyed quite a bit of prosperity and peace. That, that he was this very capable uh, leader. He, he, knew how to, uh, he knew how to leverage his relationships with the other nations around him. And because of that, they enjoyed quite a bit of peace. But Isaiah steps on the scene and it tells us that, that he became a prophet the year King Uzziah died. Now, while Uzziah was there, everything was good. They had peace. But once he died, that's when it became bleak. And you see, we also have to understand that during this time, Israel, say Israel, Israel was one at one point. But, but the scripture we're going to read, and during Isaiah's time, the kingdom had split into a northern kingdom into a southern kingdom. So it was the north. Anybody ever been to the north? 
in, in America, right? Ohio, all those great, great lands, great lands, right? And then the South, anybody ever been to the South? Alabama, Georgia, right? All those places, right? The North and the South. Israel had split. Oh, I heard a roll tide there, right? Heard a roll tide there, but uh, we'll forgive you later, right? We'll forgive you later about that. But we had a North and we had a South. Israel had split into these two kingdoms. The, the Northern Kingdom, I might be getting this backed up, but one of the kingdoms had already fallen, And that that was Israel. That kingdom had fallen. They had fallen to a foreign nation, and they were under duress and distress, and it was not good. But the other kingdom, which I believe this was the southern kingdom, which was Judah, Judah had not fallen yet. And they, they had made some decisions that enabled them to really kind of maneuver and not fall into that. And, and really, during this time, they were prosperous and things were good. And that is the season. So this is the picture that you have as Isaiah is about to speak these words, which we had just read during the reading. And you'll hear in Christmas time, and you'll see them on Christmas cards. That is what, this is the period of time in which Isaiah spoke these words. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. If you've got it, would you say, I got it? I want to encourage you, however you get a copy of the Scriptures, to get a copy of the Scriptures because we look at them uh, on Sunday mornings so that we can understand them, have context for our lives, and live uh, live better lives. So Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 1, says this. It says, Nevertheless, say nevertheless, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. Amen to that? Right? I don't know what your week looked like, but no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. So he's giving a geographical uh, place. He's identifying what had happened. These were the, the, the territories and the areas that I was just talking to you about. But then he goes on this and he says this. The people walking, say walking, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living, say living, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Those living and walking in darkness, a light has dawned. Let me go ahead and throw this out to us as we begin. At some point in your life, your peace will be plundered. At some point in your life, whether that was yesterday, today, or tomorrow, at some point in your life, your peace, right, when things were good. And how do you know when your peace was plundered? Or how do you know you had peace when it got plundered, right? You knew exactly at that point that I had no more peace. At some point in your life, your peace will be plundered. When Isaiah made this prophecy, as I mentioned, the kingdom had already split into which he's speaking to them. And while the one kingdom had, had really had no context for what Isaiah was talking about because things were good, it was peaceful, they were prosperous. In fact, it was during this time where, uh, where the rich got richer and the poor got poorer, which was a major issue to God, by the way. And it was during that season of, for Judah where things were good, man. King Uzziah is on the, on the throne. That guy knows what he's doing. He, like, he had, knows how to negotiate with all these other people. He knows how to use our military. Things are good for us. Israel, on the other hand, had fallen uh, years, years before, and they were living in this darkness. They were living in distress. They were living in gloom. And Isaiah's words to them were to both of them. Because at, at some point, Judah was going to fall too, where both of the nations were going to be experiencing periods of distress and gloom and be in that spot. And it was to his words that he spoke to both of them. And he said, the people walking in darkness, the people 
living in a land of darkness, a light has come. But you need to hear this. Because I don't know what your week looked like. I don't know what your year looked like. I don't know what next year is going to look like. But you need to hear this so that you're not surprised by it. That at some point, our peace gets plundered. In fact, have you ever had your peace plundered? Ever had your peace plundered? This past week, uh, Monday actually... Monday, I was all geared up. I was excited. As I mentioned, I grew up in Cincinnati, which uh, automatically makes you a Cincinnati Bengal fan. And you do not have any dis- choice about that when growing up. I see some heads shaking. That's how I feel in my heart, right? That's how I feel. But growing up there, so, and I was all excited because the Cincinnati Bengals, one of their big rivalries is Pittsburgh Steelers. And there you go, right? There's, I'm not kidding. There's probably a Steelers fan on the moon. They are everywhere, right? Everywhere. Uh, but I was all excited. I had, a, I had a friend up in Orange County, and uh, we, we were, so we had made plans. Like, I was going to drive up there. We are going to watch it together. Hadn't seen him in a while. All that fun stuff. And so we load up the car. Those that don't know me, uh, I'm married, and we have a four-month-old baby, and we have a, uh, a year-and-a-half uh, baby as well. His, her name is Frankie the dog, though, right? right? Dog people in the room understand that, right? Uh, and so we load up the van, and those that have had kids and grandkids, you know what a fun event that is to travel someplace with kids and all of that stuff because it's like half of your house goes into the car, right? <laughs> right? So we did all of these things and the car's all packed up and we're all ready to go and we're on the freeway and we're driving and my wife sits in the back with the baby, uh, actually because I make her. No, I'm joking, <laughs> right? Joking, joking, joking. They're like, who's his executive pastor? Call him, right? Uh, but we're all ready to go. On the 805, traveling north, and, uh, and fill a bump, just keep going, and then oh, the next thing I know, do 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 Front right tire, blown out. I, I, I reacted, and I, I pulled us to the uh, inside um, uh, elbow, which I've already heard some deep breaths at that, right? Pulled us off to, I just got us off the road as quick as I could, and she starts calling uh, uh, our insurance person, roadside assistance, and so I thought, you know what? I can probably change this tire quicker than they can get out here, and it was a, it was a newer car to us. I didn't know where any of the stuff was at, and so like having to go and find all of the pieces, and then finally get the pieces, getting ready to go it, and up behind me, you hear a little, uh, uh, Highway Patrol says, uh, why don't you go ahead and get back in your car because this is not very safe, right? And so he's like, I'm going to go. I'm going to get behind you. I'm going to stop traffic so we can get you over to the right side. And, and, and on we go, right? Have you ever had your peace plundered? You ever had your peace plundered, right? And if that wasn't enough, I had that little mailing in the mail a couple of weeks ago that told me to call a little number and let me know if I had jury duty, which of course I did on Tuesday, right? Right? And, then, and then for some reason, having a four-month-old, being a pastor was not enough to get me kicked out of the jury. They selected me, and so that's what my week looked like. How did your week look like, right? Have you ever had your peace plundered? Have you ever had your peace plundered? Maybe it's big stuff, right? Big stuff plunders our peace for sure. Death. The big Ds, right? Death. Divorce. Debt. Doctor's appointments, Right? You ever had your peace plundered? But maybe it's not something big. Maybe it's something small. Maybe it's a conversation that you did not want to have but happened anyways. Maybe it was an exchange at work, right? You ever had your peace plundered? You see, the point of all of this, and what I love about the Scripture, is that at some point, our peace 
gets plundered at some point. And when that happens, it leads to this disorienting darkness in time of distress. I love that they put words like walking in darkness and living in the land of darkness because what that tells me is that sometimes there are seasons of that. There are seasons of that. And if Israel experienced it, then we shouldn't be surprised when we experience it. But here's the thing. When the right thing or person is present, it produces peace. Turn to your neighbor and just tell them, hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, hallelujah. Because when the right person and when the right thing is present, it produces peace. It produces peace. And there, in verse 3 through 6, go ahead and put this up for us. It should be the next scripture. In verses, so right after they just said this, it goes into verse 3, and it says, this is, this is Isaiah, and I love his language because it's prophetic, right? These are things that had not happened yet, but what he's saying is that, that they will happen. It's going to come to pass. You have enlarged the nation. You've increased their joy. You, they rejoice before you, and they rejoice in the harvest as warriors rejoice with dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, the, so he's recalling an old battle in which God showed up, and, and they won that battle. And the, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. He's, he's telling them these are things that God has already done, even though it hasn't happened yet. That this is what God is going to do, but he's saying it as if it had already happened. And he goes on. Let me see the next one. Next verse. Next verse. Are we stuck? There we go. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, which will be fuel for the fire. What they're saying in this is that there will, there will be no more war. That Israel had experienced a great deal of war and, and what foreign countries would do is that the nations would do, they would come in and they would completely destroy them. There was no Geneva Convention back then. It was devastating. They would devastate the land. They would devastate the people. And they would devastate any kind of hope and peace. Forget it. But he says, this is what will happen in the future, that there will be no more. These things that we would use for battle, we're going to roll those up and burn them because we won't need them anymore. But then in verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, their peace was because something or someone would be present. It wasn't someone giving them a check. It wasn't someone giving them a report. It was because something, someone was present. And that presence would be what we celebrate at Christmas time is the arrival of Jesus. When you were growing up, when you were growing up, you think about your childhood. When you were growing up, what were some of the, what were some of the things that were, were some of the popular Christmas gifts? Do you remember? What, what were some of those popular Christmas gifts when you were, go ahead and yell them out. Yell them out. Pokemon. What else? Nintendo. Nintendo. What else? Barbie. Barbie. What else? Legos. Legos. What else? Sega. Sega. What else? G.I. Joe. Joe. What else? Anybody remember any of these things? The Care Bears. Does anybody remember the Shirley Temple doll of 1934? Okay. What about the Chatty Cathy? Of the 1960s. G.I. Joe, 1964. What about the Star Wars action figures of 1977? What about the Cabbage Patch Kids of 1983? 
What about the Transformers in 1984? What about the Teddy Ruxpin in 1985? What about the Tickle Me Elmo in 1996? What about the Beanie Baby in 1996? What about Furby in 1998? What about Nintendo in 1985? What about PlayStation in 1994? Anybody, any of those things ring a bell? Right? Of all these things, right, and we all have different things that we want and, and are excited about, I would argue that the thing that we want most at Christmas and always is the presence of peace, that we want to be at peace in our lives, in our relationships, for our future, like of all the stuff that, that the world promises and that Walmart promises, the things that we want the most is peace. It's peace. We want peace in our finances. Amen. We want peace in our relationships. Amen. We want peace in our jobs. Amen. We want peace about our future. Amen. We want peace about our kids. Amen. The thing we want most is peace. And and I think that this is why uh, in in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is arriving on the scene, if you remember, angels show up and they have this to say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, joy to those on whom his favor rests. Hope unto those who favor rest. Playstations unto whom their favor rests. Chatty Cathy's unto whom their favor rests. New cars unto whom his favor rests. Right? No, no, no. Do you know why God shows up, the angels show up and declare this thing? It's because it's what humanity most wants. To be at peace. In fact, we don't have time to jump into this, but the thing that Jesus offers is peace with God. That when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, one of the, one of the primary benefits is that you have peace about God that you don't you're not worried about what happens in the world because you have peace with God like I said we don't have time to jump into that but the thing that we want most is peace is peace and that's why the angel shows up and says that presence produces our peace when the right thing or person is present it produces peace in our lives. The presence of God is what anchored Israel's peace. As they look at all the different ways, their kings, during that king we had this peace, and when we had that negotiation, we had this peace. The thing that anchored Israel's peace was that God was present. God was present. On your outlines, on your outlines is a little thing, and, and I'm not going to jump into it this morning, but there's a, there's a question, essentially, at the bottom of the front page. It says, the presence of blank produces peace for me. And, and you don't have to answer that, but, but take that home and, and seriously consider it, right? Because I know, listen, I grew up in church, third generation. I know the answer is we put Jesus in for everything, right? Jesus, but is that true? Be honest with yourself. Have an honest assessment at some point this week. How would you answer that question? Because, yeah, it's like it's Jesus and... Maybe another comma in the bank account, right? Jesus and that good report. Jesus and my kid not getting kicked out of school. Jesus and, right? How would you answer that? I want you to take that home with you because that is an important question as you pursue peace. So how do we invite God's presence, right? So I believe that when God is present, uh, that is what produces peace in our lives. So how do we invite God's presence? Is it... How do we invite, if God is the one that holds our peace, how do we invite God into our lives? Not just today, but in this Christmas season and in every season. How do we do that? 
That's a great question, Pastor Mike. I'm going to answer it for us. Okay. Look at chapter or, or, uh, Mark. So we're going to jump into Mark very quickly this morning. So Mark uh, is a gospel. It's a, one of Jesus' followers. And all the, all the uh, four gospels, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of them contain some sort of beginning narrative about Jesus, how, you know, how Jesus came to be about. Luke was a physician. He's very detailed about how that all happened. Mark's uh, Christmas story begins this way. It says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in, I, in Isaiah, that's the person we've been talking about, I will send my messenger ahead of you. They're referring to this person named John the Baptist. I will head, send him ahead of you who will prepare your way. Say prepare your way. Prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of Sin. You see, when we want to invite God's presence into our lives, which means we want to invite peace into our lives, that begins by preparing the way. That when you want to invite God in, you have to prepare for it. This is what Mark's saying here. That the beginning, listen to that, the beginning of the good news about Jesus. Meaning that Jesus doesn't show up and just hit you in the back of the head. It says the beginning of the good news about Jesus is a message about preparing the way. That we prepare our hearts. That we prepare for God to actually show up in our lives. There's a couple of ways that we do that. One, he says it right in the passage, which is repentance. Now repentance is one of those words in the church that has been used to uh, in not a good way. Let's put it that way, right? Uh, you turn or burn. Anybody ever hear that phrase? That's, that, make, that is so inspiring, is it not? You're like, okay, so turn or burn. Okay, I'm going to turn, yeah, because I don't want to burn, right? But what the word is in Greek is this word metanoia. Say metanoia. Metanoia simply means to, to turn around or to rethink the way that you are thinking. Meaning the way that you've been thinking about something, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's constantly calling everybody that would hear him and listen to him to repent, to rethink the way that you're thinking about God. Because they had developed a system on, uh, that was working for some people and not working for other people. And so his call to repentance wasn't necessarily, although it, it entailed sin, what he was saying was to rethink the way that you're thinking about that issue, that topic about God, about God's kingdom. Because they were all expecting Jesus, the Messiah, to roll in with some tanks and some F-16s and get the job done. And Jesus rolled in in a donkey and died a terrible death. That's why he said, repent, rethink the way that you're thinking. So in this season, why don't you repent about Christmas? Why don't you rethink the way that you think about Christmas? Rethink the way that Walmart wants you to think about Christmas. I know I'm picking on Walmart a lot. I don't mean to. It's just the word that pops in my head. Target, Costco, fill in whatever store you go to, right? But rethink the way that you're thinking about it. The second thing is this. Reposition your expectations. Reposition your expectations. Culture uh, shows us a picture of what Christmas is supposed to look like. 
which is happy and fun and new Mercedes in the driveway, right? If you, a new Mercedes shows up in your driveway, are you not going to be a static? Uh, yes. The answer is yes to that, right? But re- reposition your expectations of what culture is saying and what reality is, right? The reality of your situation, whether that's financially, whether that's relationally. And that's, that's not to be a downer. Listen, I love Christmas. I'm all about it. it. But it's about repositioning because when you reposition your expectations, you'll actually be able to enjoy Christmas more. And the third one is this, is that you have to receive, right? If I throw you a ball, you have to put your hands out to catch it. The same with peace. When God is present, you have to be able to receive peace. How do we do that? Very quickly this morning, and I want to finish with this. How do we practically prepare ourselves to receive the peace of Christ in Christmas and through our lives? I have a simple word for us that might be difficult to pronounce. The word is margin. Can you say it with me? This will be therapeutic. Ready? Margin, right? What is margin? What is margin? Margin... Margin refers to the space on the edge of a paper where there is no text. We add so much to our lives and schedules that we have no margin, no space for leisure and rest and family and God and health, and I would add in there, and peace. Meaning our lives are so busy, we fill up our papers with so much, there is literally no space for God to show up with his peace. Margin On your papers, on your outlines, on the back of it, go ahead and grab those outlines for me. Oh, I hear a lot of paper moving. There we go. On the back of your outlines, I want you to take this home with you because this is an exercise for you this week. As you can see, there are a couple of things here. One, these are essential. What are the essential things that you, that, are in you, that you want to be a part of your life, right? Maybe, maybe it's uh, your faith in this season, right? You want faith to be essential, that, that church is important to you in this season. Put that in your essential box. Maybe your family and friends, right? Time with your family, time with your friends. That's the thing that really matters to you in this season. And then, you know, we all work, you know, we have different obligations, but what are the things that are essential, Right? And then here is where you create some space around those things. Meaning, here's how you do that. It's another really difficult word for us to say. The word is no. Go ahead and practice that with me. Ready? No, right? Can you stay 10 minutes later? No, right? Can our kids do get together for a play date? No, right? Those things aren't bad, but when they begin to fill up the margins of our lives, there's a reason that we don't feel peace. It's because our lives are so full, filled to the brim. And these little arrows, what these do is they protect you from the Christmas crazy. Right? As you step into these places, as you, as you begin to orient your lives around this stuff and creating some space... I promise that you'll have peace in your lives. Which, by the way, this isn't just a, an exercise in our heads. You can, do this, you can do this financially, right? When you say, hey, this is only what we're going to spend on Christmas. 
Does everybody in the family understand? Yes, right? What you're doing, what you're doing is you're creating financial margin because you don't know when you're driving on the 805 and the tires blow out. That you know what that's called? That's called life. What you're doing is you're creating a little bit of margin from life because life is going to come at you this season. But you can do this relationally where you need more, maybe you spend a lot of time with one person or, you know, with whatever, and, you know, it's pulling you away from things that are essential, like your faith and your friends and whatever the things are, right? You can go ahead and say, hey, can we go ahead and do that next month? Or can we go ahead and move that around? Again, margin helps promote peace in your lives. When we have margin in our lives, we give God an opportunity to show up with his peace. So take the outlines with you. That's why I do outlines every week so that you can have it, so that you can study it, so that you can look after it. And my hope is that it is helpful because my hope for you as a pastor is I want you to have, I want you to have hope in your life. I want you to have peace in your life. I want you to have joy in your life. I want you to have love in your life. All the themes of Christmas, that's what I want for your lives. Now, what we have planned, as you can see, Britt's up here. We're going to stand. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song that you've sung before. And then I'm going to invite you to the patio. And we're, we're, we're ending a little early. I wanted to end a little earlier. We're going to end a little early because on the patio is a hot cocoa bar and are some carol, Christmas carols. And please, don't run off. Hang for a moment. Create a little bit of space for God to be present. Let's sing this prayer.